So it's the RBA today with the question, will they hold? Well, data this morning shows house prices continue to rise in Australia. So will that encourage them to go further? China has released some details about how it wants to help the economy, but will it be enough? And is that what spurred the Aussie dollar on today? It's one of the biggest rises in the currency markets this morning. Whilst the yen goes back to where it was before all last week's excitement, was it all a bit of a storm in a Japanese teacup? It's Tuesday, the 1st of August, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar has edged up ever so slightly. Not much, though, on the DXY, but it is up 0.8% on the Japanese yen. The Aussie dollar performing well today as well. It's up almost 1%, just over 67 US cents. Actually got to 67.4 US cents overnight, whereas the euro down 0.2%. The pound down 0.1%. Not much to get excited about in US equities this morning. The Dow up 0.3% in late trade. The Nasdaq was also dribbling along the baseline, but managed to finish 0.2%. Up a marginal fall in the SP 500, small rises in the Euro stocks 50 and the FTSE 100, both up just about 0.1% at close. And bond yields not doing much either, not outside Japan anyway. 10 year treasuries are flat at 3.95%, down a tiny amount for European bonds. Japanese yields are up four basis points though, not quite up to 0.6%. Aussie 10 years were down one basis point yesterday to 4.06%, but down to under 4% on futures overnight. And oil going higher again. Again, 1% added to WTI, half percent to Brent, well over 85 a barrel now. But let's talk about Japan, first of all. Let's get that out of the way with uh, Nabs Tapa Strickland, uh, because it looks like a, a lot of retracing. Two days of falls in the yen after the, the rises that we saw late last week. It's back to pretty much where it was early last week. And today, no big moves in bond yields and anywhere else. Japanese 10 years seem to have settled in just below 0.6%. The, the Bank of Japan obviously not wanting to get too high too quickly, so they've stepped in. So is Japan, you know, can we sort of see that as taking a bit of a back seat for now? Is it Was it all a bit of a storm in a, a Japanese teacup? Good morning, Phil. Yes, I think the this sound is still a little bit in terms of what's going on in Japan. And leading into that meeting, there was just a lot of uncertainty, especially given the leaked media articles. No one was quite too sure about the scope of, of those changes. But with that hard cap of uh, 1%, 1%, and the YCC still at 0.5%, markets are still trying to figure out exactly where to take JGB yields. Uh, And they rose uh, to what uh, 0.61%, and you've had the Bank of Japan come in. So I think the view that the Bank of Japan would allow those 10-year yields to instantly go to 1%, he's obviously being faded here, and that the Bank of Japan uh, wants to see uh, relatively um, smooth right. increases. In so they they have got in today and started buying up bonds again, uh, part of the old YCC approach, because they don't want to see such a sharp move and for it to get up to 1%. That's what's happened. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I think it just underscores that although those changes were made on Friday, when you look at where the policy rate is, it's still it's still negative. Uh, when you look at where their inflation forecasts are, they're coming back down in 2024. Um, so really to get a, a bigger movement in JGB yields, you would have to see the economic fundamentals of the economy change, particularly around the inflation outlook. And it doesn't really look like we'll get any change to those kind of star forecast, at least until the next uh, forecast round, which is not until October there. So mm. um, it may be that we see uh, relatively modest moves in JGBs if 
if uh, you do get that turnaround in inflation. Right. And then we've got this big rise in the Aussie dollar today. So uh, as we know, that invariably means that something's happened in China. Well, it certainly wasn't on the back of the uh, PMIs because the manufacturing PMI was up, but perhaps a little less than expected. And non-manufacturing fell. Uh, It's still in positive territory, but it's 51, uh, which is the lowest this year. So there's nothing encouraging coming out of that. And yet we've got the CSI 300 still rising. The Hang Seng is up 1.4%. Actually, it was up 3.2% at one stage. And that is because we are starting to get news now on what might be done in China to try and uh, boost consumption. Uh, It's more a consumption consumption story rather than an export story for them now, isn't it? Uh, So we have the development agency there who's come up with this uh, wordy document about what it is that they want to do to boost consumption. But I'm interested in the the market response to this because it seems quite a lot. And yet there's no hard numbers in in this report. There's no real spending commitment. Yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, the Politburo came out with those kind of statements wanting to boost uh, the economy last week, and we're starting to get a few more details on that, although those the, those details aren't necessarily real. Concrete, okay. as, as you're already there. Um, and the, the, the two, so the, the first one you mentioned was the NDRC one about the policy document about removing government restrictions on consumption. And then the second one was authorities in cities, including Beijing and Shenzhen, vowing to follow through on the Politburo pledge to optimise China's property policies. Um, and so that does suggest further easing on, on the way. So I think the combination of those two things uh, did help boost up the Aussie and indeed did boost up um, equity markets, particularly in China um, o- o- overnight. But undeniably, as conditions are right now, the official PMIs do suggest things are relatively weak. So you look at the manufacturing PMI, it came in at 49.3 versus 48.9 expected, so still in mild contraction territory. And you look at the non-manufacturing, it was at 51.5 versus 53.0 expected. And it's just worth noting within non-manufacturing, um, you also have construction. And so when you look at construction, that was very weak at 51.2, um, while services were 51 so it does suggest um, the authorities' focus on c- consumption is there for a real, real reason. It also suggests that um, some things need to happen on the property sector in order to get uh, momentum rebuilding in that non-manufacturing side. So no doubt markets will be looking quite closely at more concrete policy actions on top of the announcements that were made uh, last night as well. Yeah, a case of show me the money, isn't it, really? Because that report from the National Development and Reform Commission, it's just a cornucopia of wishes, really, isn't it? So they want to encourage car purchases. They want to build a car charging infrastructure. They want to build more affordable housing, encourage home decorating, uh, electronic purchases, expand digital consumption, get people to eat out more, including food fairs, more culture and more tourism, including more rural tourism, uh, all done so they want to basically increase also consumer credit and systems to encourage consumption. So you read it. It's a, it's a blueprint for a more sufficient, self-sufficient domestic economy. But, I mean, no solid numbers in there at all. Uh, no, but what, what was interesting is that commodities did uh, take a positive signal out of it. So you did see the copper price up 2%, aluminium up 2.7 and zinc up 2.6. For sure. So uh, Europe's core inflation level yesterday, 5.5% year on year. It's not moved down, so it's still sticky. In fact, 
that core rate is higher than the headline rate. I'm not sure whether that's something that you should be worried it, about. Potentially. So uh, that, the core rate, obviously, at 5.5 versus 5.4% uh, expected. Um, but however, given the growth uncertainties, particularly coming out of the PMIs, you haven't seen too much move in actual market pricing for the ECB. So there's still 8.7 basis points price for September. And I think a cumulative 15.6 basis points price by February. So just a little bit over 50% chance of another 25 basis point increase effectively. Um, so I think markets, yes, core inflation uh, is a little bit sticky, came in one-tenth higher than expected, but really the focus is going to be on the activity side. Um, and I thought it was interesting in the Eurozone GDP figures that were also out overnight. Um, you did see a little bit of resilience there. So you did see Q2 growth at 0.3% Q&Q versus 0.2% Q&Q, but the details uh, did suggest some of that may have been just a bit of statistical noise in some way. Um, so the biggest driver of the growth in the Eurozone in Q2 was Ireland, which was up 3.3% in the quarter. Um, and when you look at Italy, it actually uh, contracted by, by 0.3. And of course, Germany was flat as well. So um, if you were to see the next um, iteration of the global PMIs, particularly soft on the services side, then I think that would add more um, impetus for the ECB to be on hold and exactly just see how this growth uh, slowdown is occurring and how that's going to impact on inflation. Yeah, because of that variation. Absolutely. And then we had German retail sales as well, down 0.8% in June as well. So there's a another sign of weakness. But uh, what about the UK? Because they surprised. Again, not sure if this is a good sign or not, but there was a quite a leap in mortgage approvals and consumer credit. In fact, consumer credit went from $1.1 billion in May to almost $1.7 billion in June. This is in pounds, which is and, and quite a, a rise in mortgage lending too. And, and unless this is people just trying to hang on to their houses, so they're having to borrow more. Uh, but, but I mean, you know, grinding credit doesn't sound like an, an economy that is struggling, does it? it? It it doesn't. And it's just interesting, the housing themes, uh, it's happening globally. So it's not necessarily UK specific yeah. uh, uh, f- phenomenon. And I think it's linked up with um, just the low housing turnover that's uh, going on. And if people want to transact in the market, they're having to basically pay overs in order to be able to transact. And I think some of that is due to the prevalence of fixed rate borrowings out there, just given how far mortgage rates have increased. If you were on a fixed rate loan, and I know the UK is a predominantly uh, a five-year yeah. fixed market. Well, um, that explains it, doesn't it? You get to the end, so you've got to go back. You've got to get more credit because you've, uh, you, you're probably pushing mortgage back a bit longer so you can afford it. So you so you increase the, the amount of credit. would make perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, but it also, also means it affects housing turnover because if you're on a fixed rate loan that doesn't mature for, for a year or a couple of years, uh, you're less likely to be transacting in the market because otherwise you'd be facing um, a much higher mortgage rate as well. And that's definitely the theme that's going on in the US, which has a 30-year fixed um, mortgage market as well. Yes. And and similarly, you know, Australia's housing credit was up ever so slightly, wasn't it? Um, and uh, but, uh, but maybe not to the same extent. And house prices... Well, they are still rising in Australia at 0.7% month on month, according to the core logic numbers out this morning, the fifth consecutive month in a row that uh, uh, house prices have gone up, although the, the speed of that growth is slowing a little bit. So, I mean, does I mean, does the RBA pay attention to that? Do they think, well, people can still afford their houses, clearly, because they're buying more of them and they're paying more? For, so that gives us the leeway to keep on pushing rates up? I mean, obviously, the expectation is that they are going to be on hold today, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so uh, really interesting in terms of the housing market and just in terms of um, what's going on on in the listing space. Uh, new home listings in capital city markets rose almost 4% over July, which is bucking a seasonal trend in which uh, you generally tend to put off sales during the kind of winter period in Australia. So that may suggest that 
um, there has been a little bit of a pickup in motivated selling. So perhaps those people um, who um, are more balance sheet constrained may be uh, more willing to sell in this environment. After all, house prices have risen over right. the past five months. So that's something worth. Well, we're going to talk about this on on in the on weekend edition. So don't talk about that too much. Tell me about the uh, tell me about the RBA today though. Sure. So for the, uh, I mean, I think it's going to be a very close decision. And uh, if they do hold, which is what our um, call is, uh, they will definitely keep a tightening bias there, just given where uh, core inflation in Australia is. If you look at the trim mean measure, it's sitting at 5.9% year on year. So still uh, relatively high. Uh, markets are pricing in just a 20% chance of, of a hike and economists are very split. So uh, according to the Bloomberg survey, 18 of 30 are expecting a hike. And the key reason why we think uh, the RBA is likely to be on hold in a very close decision is um, when you look at the Q2 CPI figures, they came in uh, just slightly below the RBA's prior May SOMP forecast. So trim mean at 5.9 versus the May SOMP forecast of 6%. And then you also had retail sales for June, which were a little bit soft and reversed some of the strength in May. Uh, but I think there are good arguments for hiking. And at NAB, we still think the RBA will hike uh, another uh, couple of times, um, even though they hold today. And that's mainly because when you look at the services side of inflation, it's incredibly sticky. Uh, the disinflation we're seeing at the moment is primarily on the good side. And uh, the main reason why uh, Q2 CPI came in a little bit lower was because of uh, deflation in garments and motor vehicles there. So with really sticky uh, core inflation, with the unemployment rate still at 35 and um, the RBA probably still has a little bit more work to do. Um, and so we still look for the RBA to lift rates another couple of times, even though we're calling an unhold decision today. Now, tonight, uh, US manufacturing ISM. So we get the, you know, all the good stuff that goes with that, the employment numbers, the new orders, the, the prices, uh, as well as the headline number. So it'll be interesting to see that. I mean, the Chicago PMI was a little less than expected. Uh, and we had the Dallas Fed manufacturing. I don't know if there was too much we can take out from those, but I mean, really, it's the ISM number that most interest is in, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Uh, just regard to the Dallas Fed manufacturing. Uh, the one interesting bit of that survey is us respondents for, anecdotes in terms of what they're seeing across their business. And just to be clear, the Dallas Fed Manufacturing Index is in contraction territory, but there are a few snippets there that I thought were really interesting and does perhaps herald a bit of a turnaround uh, in the manufacturing sector in the second half of this year. Uh, And one of them was uh, we continue to be concerned by all of the talk of a recession. We aren't seeing that reflected in reduced customer demand yet. Uh, We intend to make capital investments over the next six months to expand capacity and reduce our unit costs as we hope to gain market share uh, in the event of a recession. So, uh, yes, so some firms planning a recession, but at the same time, um, they, they wanted to take market share in that environment. Um, and then the second one was uh, we had hoped to not to have to raise prices, but are having pressure from others uh, to hire away our workers. So we are implementing wage increases that need to be covered by raising prices again. So um, it does suggest that uh, the very tight labour market uh, does have the potential to continue to spill over to inflationary pressures even though we have seen those inflationary pressures ease back in the past couple of months. So uh, I think central banks are going to be very focused on how tight that labour market is. And uh, also tonight we get uh, the job openings figures as well. So, I mean, yeah, definitely they are going down, aren't they, those jolts numbers? So 9.8 million available in, in May. Uh, I think it was 11.4 million a, a year before that. So, you know, we are seeing, even though it's incrementally it seems quite small month to month, but year on year it's quite a big, Quite a big fall. Yes, they're starting to ease back, but the key thing is just just the levels. The levels remain really elevated, so it's still unclear um, whether you can sustain those levels and still have an easing, the degree of tightness in your labour market. And 
it does suggest that there's still a little bit more work to go uh, in order to get uh, those inflation pressures down uh, in the tightness of the labour market. Well, we'll see what that brings tonight. Busy day with the RBA, of course. Uh, good to talk. Tapas, and uh, we'll get you on again soon. Thanks. Uh, cheers. Thanks, Phil. He's always very thorough, isn't he? Uh, that's Tapas. I'm Phil Dobby. I'm back again for another one tomorrow morning uh, for NAB. Uh, we'll see you then. Have a great day.